Hey there everybody and welcome back to yet another episode here on the DCVC podcast. I'm your host Akash Bhatt and each week I bring you leading investors and founders investing and building fantastic tech companies all over the world. Today is a very special episode because I have with me Sham Menon of Bharat Innovation Fund sitting across the table from me and talking to us a whole lot about his journey into venture capital which i think makes for a very fantastic episode and goes to give you an insight about how one's path into vc is very non traditional and in most cases serendipitous bharat innovation fund is an early stage venture capital fund that invests in ip driven deep tech healthcare agriculture and renewable startups sham is one of the co-founders and partners at the fund and he brings over 25 years of experience working in the United States, Europe and in India. This makes for a fantastic episode for some of the reasons mentioned a couple of seconds ago, but more importantly, Sham was able to talk to us a whole lot about how his whole journey into Indian venture capital really ended up helping him discover who he is as a professional and more importantly, the role that he plays today as a fund manager and how it shaped him along the way. I really enjoyed my time speaking to Sham and I'm really excited to share this episode with each and every one of you. So without further ado, let's head in and listen to my conversation with Sham Menon of Bharat Innovation Fund. Sham, welcome to the DCVC podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to host you here today and uh Ever since I had the possibility of having you on the show I've been really looking forward to this and uh, before we delve deeper into everything that we probably will discuss over the course of the next 45 50 minutes I want to welcome you first and uh, ask you how you were doing Doing well Akash doing doing well I know it's been a busy morning for you yeah. and I've caught you uh, in yeah. between some of your calls so I really appreciate you being here Um there are a number sure. of uh, ways that I probably could have kick start this episode but um one of the things that's been on my mind is the background that you have and you've you've really had a very unusual journey for somebody in venture capital so I was curious about some of those inflection points in your life that kind of led you to where you are today and looking back would you still have done similar things that you that you probably did which kind of like led you to where you are today or would you have probably taken a different path i may have chosen a different path yeah. tell us tell us more tell us more tell us more why tell us why yeah i mean yeah i think i probably would have taken a different path entirely had i had to do it again yeah so yeah i don't think anything i've done was planned and yeah it's it's where i am i mean you know we are where we are but um yeah started as a metallurgist by training ended up in the us for a masters i mean you're talking 98 99 2000 it was a different time yeah there were not many opportunities in material science and ceramic engineering and the stuff that i was studying there were very few things you could do uh, in the us and basically i mean i mean you had to have you know secret clearance and top secret clearance because most of the kind of work in materials research used to be with defense or right. you know or yeah this sort of space industry and, and as an international student you couldn't even get in yeah. you know because you, you be don't be a citizen I mean, yeah yeah not only a citizen like many of the even new first generation citizens don't make the cut you know because of 
the top secret clearance and what not you need for the sort of materials research work you had to do right so there was very few opportunities when you get out got out actually you know when it though the topics all sound very interesting so i was working on electronic ceramics which is a area where you are taking fundamentally an insulating material and making it conducting it's a very i mean it's a very esoteric space yeah. you know and the applications were very limited to space and defense and um, so then you know you come out of college and you're like now what you know and then then we're like okay let's start a startup because there's nothing else to do you know yeah. i mean because most of the guys you know where the citizens would go down the path of you know joining some space tech companies the american citizens but then if you're international what do you do yeah. so that's kind of how the startup happened so the first startup straight out of college uh, was a nanomaterial startup that i worked on and we were developing uh, what was basically what became substrate materials for what's called microfuel cells mm-hmm. which is used uh, back then it was used for uh, powering drones Mm-hmm. and this was uh, you're talking about uh, you know late 90s early 2000 it was the one of the applications was uh, for us defense they were building drones and the drones needed to be powered by microfuel cells mm-hmm. and for that you had to develop the electrode materials i mean it was a very 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 esoteric space and uh, so that was what the first startup was working on and a bunch of different applications but it was a difficult journey because the Uh, the internet bubble burst in 2001 there was no funding available for any startup yeah. and uh, one pivot to another ended up for a year working with another uh, public company in the fuel cell space called fuel cell energy in connecticut then went from there to another startup in boston called acumentrix which was another solid oxide fuel cell company very similar to what um, bloom energy is doing in california mm-hmm. so again i was a materials researcher there but difficult there was no funding available so the problem at that point in materials research and startups was the venture community had not come in or very little venture community money was there so it was very difficult to keep going because there was no capital to fund the projects right. so um, and as a international student you had to keep figuring out what next what next and uh, managed to move into another phd program in Berkeley there was a Lawrence Berkeley National Lab that gave me a project uh, my advisor was sitting in University of California Davis and that's actually where the whole climate part of the story started although i was working on fuel cells i never thought of it as climate right. you know it was just materials research but uh, in Lawrence Berkeley lab got a chance to work on what's called the China Energy Group mm-hmm. and the China Energy Group was working on some very interesting stuff so they were trying to understand uh, you know China had said it had decoupled its energy use from uh, GDP growth and it made no sense in 2003-4-5 they like no country does that you can't your GDP cannot grow and you cannot decouple from energy use you can't say that the GDP grows but energy use stays flat it doesn't happen that way mm-hmm. so there was a lot of work uh, fundamental work that was happening to understand what was actually going on on the ground in China and that was the work that I was part of doing um and it was very interesting and found a lot of stuff in that work on how chinese transportation sector works industrial sector works and what was the energy consumption and understood why that discrepancy was showing in terms of what the energy use was was versus the gdp growth and a lot of that learnings led to a project at the world bank where we were trying to understand would india follow the same path as china or would india take a different path so then moved to the world bank in dc 
and uh, did a bunch of studies around India. So it was more about the learnings from the Berkeley study on China and then the learning on India. But in this process, understood a lot about what a low carbon transition pathway would look like for India versus China. Okay. And uh, it was a very interesting two, three years. And this was the time when the World Bank was developing what was called the Climate Energy Investment Framework. It was a very big project. This came after the Glen Eagle Summit of the G7. So in the Glen Eagle Summit of G7, what was decided was that the World Bank will develop what's called the Clean Energy Investment Framework. And uh, India, the International Energy Agency in Paris would develop what's called the Clean Energy Technology Roadmap. So IEA would do the tech roadmap, World Bank would figure out what the investment framework is if the world had to move to a low carbon future. And it was a very, very, very big project for a few years that was happening across both of these institutions. And I was one small cog in that wheel. We were doing a bunch of modeling work on how India's transportation sector, China's building sector, et cetera, would evolve over time. And what are the pathways on a low carbon pathway? Then all of that ended up and then ended up moving to a small VC fund in 2000, end of 2007 in London, which was uh, focused on climate. It was a climate tech focused early stage VC fund. And there the entire goal was, how do you, what are some really, really innovative things that are happening in energy storage and emissions control? So all of this was a result of a lot of the work I had done in the past. But the, of course, a VC fund was different. I was part of startups, but I'd never been part of VC. And it was completely happenstance. I just happened to run into the general partner of this small fund in DC when I was at the bank. We got talking, started at lunch one day, ended up at dinner. So the whole afternoon to night, you know, I had spent with him. And that's when, you know, I realized that it could be interesting to see what that side of the world was, you know, and they were launching a small fund on the climate side focused very much on the hydrogen value chain so it was not just on climate it was focused back in 2007 on hydrogen mm -hmm. and the value chain of hydrogen focused on europe so it was a chance to also explore another continent and then we were doing most of my work was working with very early stage startups that were being spun out of large corporates like siemens and volvo from sweden and germany and etc across europe but a lot of these R&D projects that happen inside these large corporates, most of them never see the light of day because they may not have the kind of total market size that these, uh, you know, the corporates want to pursue. The corporate yeah. may only want to pursue a project if it has, you know, multi-billion dollar potential top line. But a lot of good, interesting ideas get incubated there, where which may have a hundred million dollar potential top line, which will all just get killed inside the corporate. So 90% of their R&D never sees the light of day. But that's, those are all potentially good standalone businesses, which a VC can actually grow and, you know, potentially exit, uh, whereas the corporate will just kill it. So our job was to go in turn inside, pull out what looks interesting, pull out the team behind it and see if you can build an independent company. Right. It's a difficult thesis. It's a, it's a complicated model because people kind of who go into a large corporate are people who typically self-select themselves mm -hmm. to work in a large corporate. They like the security of it you know, and the stability of a large corporate job, they don't really want to leave it to be an entrepreneur because, you know, then you would have self-selected yourself to be an entrepreneur to begin with, you yeah. know. So so what we realized was it's not easy to do because not because of technology or, or the business plan, because of the people. You know, the people involved may or may not necessarily have the DNA to be entrepreneurs themselves, mm -hmm. you know. And so we realized, so then we figured out how to manage that process. You know, what do you do in that case? 
so it was a lot of learnings in that i mean and very interesting life experiences working with entrepreneurs in denmark and sweden and germany etc um you know and i was also still pretty young i was 30 31 32 you know working with these entrepreneurs it was a good journey then um, somewhere along the way by 2011 the point i reached a point where i wanted to do something back home and uh, had an opportunity to go to singapore for a few months try to see if i could fundraise Uh, when i was there to do something in climate in india mm-hmm. uh, came back um in uh, early 2012 and there got a chance to meet my partner kunal who was running the incubation arm of cie called cie at uh, iim ahmedabad so cie was a uh, you know growing startup accelerator with a lot of startups in it and growing and across sector startups were being incubated and cie was set up at time at a time when there were very few accelerators and incubators in the country so the whole goal was to you know help support them in any way we can help them some su- give them some support from the rolodex of the alumni of imm dubai because they have a very good network of people who have gone on to do big things in the world and also open up the professors and the academia to the startups to for some help or the other and mm-hmm. that was intent was to just provide sort of a nurturing environment there it was structured as a not for profit and it was an incubator whose only goal was to just help support any startup it had nothing to do with necessarily ima alum startups it was for anybody in the country could apply right. and that was the journey cie was already on from 2007-8 and my path intersected in 2012 at that point the thought was you know in climate or yeah, clean tech as it was called back then there was really nothing in the country i mean there was no angel fund seed fund series a nothing so mm-hmm. our thought was if india has to go in the towards the direction of renewables you have to do something to support local entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and that is the story with which the whole infuse ventures fund got created so infuse is really a short form for indian fund for sustainable energy that was we just ah. called it infuse you know indian fund for sustainable energy and it is a small fund is a 100 crore fund it took us a couple of years plus to raise with the backing thank god of the ministry of new and renewable energy finally the government actually said they will support us in this initiative and they became an anchor lp and then we went out and it was a struggle for a long time to get it up and running because it was an entirely new thesis in the country and as it is vc as an asset class was still new for most institutional investors in india anyway so but still managed to convince good quality lps uh, such as bp ifc etc to come in on this journey and we created a small seed fund for climate okay. and that was the start of the whole climate journey um and of course there it was a i mean the space itself had challenges for sure because unlike internet companies etc you are here fundamentally dealing with a with a bunch of sectors where you have a lot of incumbents you know whether it is energy industry chemical industry in infrastructure where are all areas where you have opportunities for startups in climate tech but they are all having to face a ton of incumbents large incumbents mm-hmm. so unlike internet or digital companies where the spaces were relatively blue ocean where if at all there is competition they are all from the new age startups climate tech you have to deal with existing large corporate players so startups will generally tend to have a more tougher journey where there are a lot of incumbents mm-hmm. and also in climate tech where you look at areas like smart buildings or 
renewable energy or e-mobility or whatever, anything in the decarbonization space. You know, another thing that you'll see is most of them may have a hardware element. They're not pure software companies. So inevitably, those kind of companies will also tend to have a different pathway. They don't scale the with the speed at which an internet or a digital company would scale. So right. the kind of trajectory for these startups are different. And hence, the sort of investors who will find them interesting also tend to be different. Mm-hmm. So these were some learnings that we had. I mean, we already knew it coming in. But uh, and it was a seed fund, and uh, you know our goal was at least support a few initiatives that can be built by frugal entrepreneurs who can hopefully get them to survive these companies, even if there are not too many generalist venture capital follow-ons, they should still be able to survive. Yeah, you know, and make it because we knew coming in there were no Series A, Series B investors in climate tech back in 2012. I mean, it was already known. I mean, it was nothing new that they were, they didn't exist, those investors. So right. we had to do what we had to do to try and ensure that they could stay alive on their own as best as best as possible. So we had to really find such entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So because of which we did not go down the pathway of looking for things like deep technology stuff there. Because if you go down that pathway, they need a whole lot more capital upfront, even just to build a product. Right. You know? So that itself becomes ridiculously hard, you know, in terms of the journey of the product development, if you don't have capital. So our goal in this fund was less about deep tech, but more about identifying startups that may have identified the market opportunity. And there is a gap in the market, or there is a problem to deployment, which may be our small capital, which is about a million dollars, all we could invest in a company, they should be able to still be able to build something enough to be able to clear that gap, just Mm. to be able to get to the market. You know, so less on deep technology stuff, but more on market linkage problems, which you can overcome. Because at least that way, our goal was to hopefully create a few winners in the portfolio, which will attract more entrepreneurs also into the space. And by, uh, by, you know, as a continuation of that thought process, more investors also into the space. And we were always sure that over a 10-year timeline, naturally, the space will become more interesting. But where we were, we had to still do what we could, you know, without too much follow-on investors. Right. But the journey was very, uh, edu- I mean, very educational. It was very difficult for sure. A lot of startups went through a lot of trials and tribulations. But, uh, and, you know, it was, I mean, for example, this journey ended up building, a, helped us create, for example, one of the largest players in the industrial and commercial rooftop solar space in the country called Fourth Partner Energy was a result of a, of, of this initiative of Infuse mm-hmm. Ventures. And we were able to support the founders early on with about a million dollars. And then over time, they were able to build a company through their capability and frugal engineering capability and ability to keep it financed until finally, Texas Pacific Group, PPG, Norfund, etc. came in and it really grew, became very big. But, you know, so there are a lot of companies that resulted that way without, without the typical VC follow-on pathway. Right. So we have a company in the green chemical space called ProClean, which is doing very well, where they start from a probiotic precursor and they develop a whole lot of surfactants and degreasers for the leather, textile, paper and pulp industry. So you're talking about bio starting points versus chemical starting points. That means mm-hmm. the amount of effluent treatment that you need at the end becomes far lower. The amount of effluent, so the, you know, the amount of water you need for post-treatment, the chemicals that get pumped into water bodies and destroy aquatic life and completely mess up the ecology, <coughs> all of that becomes much lesser if you have a biological starting point versus a chemical 
artificial chemical starting point so those kind of companies another company which is doing very well is a company called reconnect energy which does a, it's a software stack that integrates renewables into the grid mm-hmm. it's a pure data science play they raised less than half a million dollars and they've built a sustainable business they never had to take external vc money and they're you know on a pathway where they're exploring even a potential ipo i wow. mean so the kind of <laughs> you know the journeys are different for these companies yeah. trajectories are different but they all broadly were all focused around the positive climate impact thesis mm-hmm. because we saw this pathway and in 2016 17 when we were thinking about what next we were thinking should we do something in climate is the market ready or should we do something else and come back to climate a little later then our view was the follow on market hadn't investor market hadn't yet grown to mm-hmm. a certain level yet so we said let's look at what else is happening in the country so from our incubation facility what we saw was very interesting very interesting stuff agar so what was happening was this is very interesting from an india perspective so if you if you look at 2013 14 15 16 you know of course the startup environment was booming hyperlocal yeah. commerce digital shared economy all that stuff was happening but something else was also happening which is you look at microsoft facebook google all of them had set up serious research facilities in india right. so you had very high quality graduate student population who left india after their iits and all that and iits and who went and got their masters and phd's from all the big schools and who were working in these places many of them were posted back to india or many of them because of whole h1 visa issues and drama directly from campus anyway got to, you know selected out of campus out of a michigan or a georgia tech or any of these big schools mm-hmm. and put into india directly because then you don't have to deal with the whole h1 stuff and they are all you're talking grad level talent you're talking phd students and you know people like that in working across deep technology areas right so when they come into india and they were doing this work within one or two years of them coming back many of them decide they want to do something entrepreneurial mm. their their vision was not as much about doing a digital e-commerce or doing a copy paste model of something that happened in the us they were not thinking of that they were looking at their peers who came out of the same schools as them who were doing deep tech companies in ai and machine learning and cyber security and augmented reality and immuno oncology and all of these spaces in the us they wanted to do the same companies in india mm. you know their point was you can actually get people hire this grad level talent also for if you look at a san francisco and look at a data scientist it costs them you half a million dollars minimum to hire somebody i mean you're yeah. lucky if you can get someone a good quality phd at a half a million dollars you're lucky if you can get them yeah. in india the same level talent you can get at maybe a third of the price i mean in india it's still high mm-hmm. you're talking about 75 lakhs to a crore a year this is all big numbers in india yeah. but but if you look at what you have to pay in the valley it's you're still one third yeah. you know up to a third to one fourth so but in india it's still really really high mm-hmm. so good numbers for someone to make so what a lot of quick realization that happened with many of these entrepreneurs is i can actually build a deep tech product for almost one third to one fourth the price point mm-hmm. you know and overall cost in india the market may still be the us it it may not be looking for a india starting market that's okay the market may still be there but if you're able to develop the product for cheaper naturally you have you've got an advantage you know even right. going to the western market 
and typically india tends to be a good fast follower not an early adopter so mm. you take it out and then you bring it back so you do your pilot stuff here but then you start your market adoption for saas etc in a bigger way in the valley or us and then come back to india once adoption starts mm-hmm. so that's kind of that boomerang model is what we have been seeing in general in the, in 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 core tech also is the same thing that's what we have been seeing and we realized that in deep technology there was an opportunity for us to create a series a fund and okay. that's how the whole bharat innovation fund story happened and the number of partners grew from 2 to 5 so we had three more partners join us so it was initially kunal and me and then we've had ashwin ragram and we had sanjay jain and we had shompal choudhury also come in so ashwin came from the india innovation fund which was nascom's first deep tech focused uh, fund in the country sanjay was uh, at google for many many years and then sanjay went on to build the india stack the whole aadhar upi janthan the entire india stack along with nandan nilakani you know and, and the government and came out so sanjay joined us yeah. shompal choudhury was the managing director of analog devices the, mm. the semiconductor giant and he was in the valley for many years 20 odd years and he came back to india he joined us so the team group and right. so now we have five partners and then we decided to go raise bharat innovation fund and we five together went out and raised it's about 100 million split between two vehicles one is the innovation fund and one is an inclusion fund which is focused more on financial inclusion uh, uh, for startups that typically leverage india stack and mm-hmm. are backed more by foundations so that's why we kept that capital separate because the lps there have a different thesis you know it was they had the thesis that had more inclusion and impact focus whereas the innovation fund had typical commercial lps so there the focus was purely deep technology global markets and then the investment started and the portfolio companies have been doing quite well there's a whole lot of them out there now companies like entropic in the emotion ai space detect in industrial computer vision uh, firecomp is in ai and cybersecurity then we have playshifu which does augmented reality enabled games and metaverse games now a uh, bunch of companies now the portfolio has been growing big time now and uh, about 10 companies com- invested here and similarly 10 companies in the bharat inclusion fund as well and the journey has been interesting so we are now getting to be mostly deployed on the innovation side and in this process we also realized in the last year that you know the climate uh, scenario is better for startups that are focused on decarbonization and yeah. uh, the regulatory environment has become better uh, the capital availability interest from the investing community lp interest etc is getting better so there is an opportunity here to seed some of the next generation potential winners across these sectors you know in terms of decarbonization has to happen across every sector whether it is chemicals whether it is materials whether it is any industry you know agri in you know um, whether it is paper and pulp whether it is textile everywhere decarbonization has to happen i mean it's a global imperative at this point so you've got to do it and so inevitably if you're there is opportunities to back early winners in india in these spaces and this is the thesis and the thought process with which we are exploring doing something in the climate space again conversations are ongoing and you know we'll see where it ends up but uh, you know we are in the pathway to exploring something there yeah. but uh, definitely the journey from climate to early stage to deep tech to even exploring climate again but the deep tech story has been phenomenal i mean we are amazed at the high level of quality of the entrepreneurs that are coming in the country right now and building new stuff you know and also interestingly even indian industry is becoming more proactive in exploring using new technology which was not even the case even few years ago right. they are willing to try more things today 
So we do believe that India itself can be a good market going forward for most of these things. You don't necessarily have to only depend on the West, mm-hmm. you know. But so over time, I think everything evolves. I mean, now most Indian corporates also have a strong innovation sourcing team internally. So they are also constantly looking for external IP from startups, etc. They can work with. Otherwise, if you think of it, Akash in India, most Indian corporates typically would. do an mna then they would do an mna they would they may acquire a company for geographical expansion you know if they are not operating in some country and they want to go into say nigeria then they'll pick up something there or they want to expand into some part of europe mm-hmm. you know they may go pick up a company there but you know investing in acquiring or adopting technologies from startups was not something large indian corporates ever did right. you know it was not in their dna to do it you know but that is changing that dna is now changing there is so much more interest in at least figuring out how to work with startups and yeah. you know some experiments will work some will fail yeah and that's okay you know but the point is people are trying you know and somewhere along the way we we also hope that these corporates also become strong lps for funds in india because mm-hmm. what india also needs to create is lot more institutional limited partners lp base for funds india doesn't have it indian funds typically end up going abroad all the abroad time. agree yeah, you know i mean that is the it's unfortunate i mean we've got to create our own lp base yeah. because the government is doing a lot with trying to with with sidbi and there is sri fund of funds etc a few initiatives but we need a whole lot more participation from corporates banks insurers i mean we don't have two two sets of institutions that typically work in the west are pension funds and endowments Right. these two things don't exist practically don't exist in the country i mean in terms of an lp base because we don't really have much in terms of concept of endowments itself in india and even pension funds are very small i mean you have a pf but you don't really have other pension funds you know like you have in the us etc you have the teachers pension fund and yeah. you know the firefighters pension fund and this and that we don't have that stuff in the country mm-hmm. you know, i mean that's unfortunate in that sense you know i mean but uh, you know but we have to build that lp base in india as well it's very important you yeah. know because otherwise you will not create a indigenous vc industry and you need an indigenous vc industry especially if you are a country of the magnitude that india is you can't become i mean we are just talking about another year we are going to be the most populous country in the world yeah you, know, you can't i mean practically one in five one in six people in the world one in six to one in seven people in the world is in india is in india at this scale india needs and the reason you need to support this asset class is this is the asset class that creates new industry that mm. creates that that breaks the science barrier that breaks the technology barrier this is not about secondary markets or some derivative products shuffling around some public markets and people are arbitraging that this is actually capital that moves the world forward right this is vc money this is what with which you are building the next set of things for humanity yeah people somehow bucket everything under one thing you know it is just finance it's just high risk capital but what you don't realize is vc is not a capital class like that i mean this is really what creates entire new industries which fundamentally transform humanity i mean that asset class needs to be supported domestically in every country mm-hmm. especially for a country of the magnitude of india right we, i mean we really really need a lot more domestic lps for all the funds that are coming you know i mean that are happening we can't be dependent only on the west i mean that is a it's a it's a big realization that we are having is that you know 
the country needs to support this asset class seriously you know mm-hmm. if you have to really create uh, next generation industries and technologies in india i mean this is a <clears throat> humongous engine yeah. and we have the people power we have the tech capability and we have the financial wherewithal it's not that india doesn't have it we are a 3 trillion dollar economy right you know we have that capital it is there it is in different places you know as once regulation allows this to be okay for many of these organizations to invest in venture capital etc i think what the size of the venture industry in india can be 100x of where it is we are not we have not even scratched the surface, the surface of what indigenous vc industry should be in india versus you know where it can be and where we are today yeah. i mean we have not touched we have not done nothing yet in that space mm-hmm. so i think this is an enormous asset class that can add a lot more value yeah. over people have to be patient this is new industry creation you're talking about 10 year journeys or 7 8 year journeys or 15 year journeys in some in some cases but it's it is important to support this because this is really what bre- creates breakthroughs mm. you know i mean and uh, that's important it's not about you know somehow becoming a unicorn in a year or two that's not the goal here you know the goal has to be you know pushing the boundaries of technology and science yeah. and which asset class does that which asset class does that right i mean yeah. this is that one asset class that can do it you know so this needs to get supported and i think the future is bright i mean there is a there are difficult path, you know potholes in the way and mountains we have to climb but i think india has the people has the intellectual firepower india has the financial wherewithal mm-hmm. uh, once it all just somehow gets unlocked and aligned in the right way i think you know we we can we can go a long a long way so, yeah i i completely agree with you and in that answer i kind of came up with close to like six or seven follow up questions simply because there was like so much to uncover there and i i was talking to you before the recording as well one of the reasons i really enjoy being on these episodes with guests is because you kind of get a look back at history like some of the things that you talked about also talked about the history of venture in india in one way or the other the fact that you know the yeah. in, like how the infrastructure came into place and how the origin of bharat innovation fund or beat infuse all of this really also talks about what the state of the industry looked at that point of time at that point of time yeah and and how it's kind of evolved from there on to where we are today so that context is so important for a lot of people to understand why a fund has actually become a fund and why does it exist today which yeah. unfortunately when you're sitting on the outside you don't really get to know that origin story and when you go to the website you also read about it this really doesn't come across the I'm thesis not, comes yeah. across the portfolio comes across the team comes across but you know the real origin story as to why would somebody like you go to the us find um you know go and do your masters then a phd and then eventually found a company before embarking on those stories and how all of those tiny dots align themselves to you know where you are today it doesn't really meet anybody's um, eye at at first go and that is one of the reasons why i really really enjoy um speaking to to people on the podcast and more importantly what really impressed me about your journey is you had a couple of personal decisions that kind of led you to where you are and professional decisions that along the way have kind of impacted you as a person impacted the funds that you operate and more importantly i also get a sense that it has influenced you as a human being as you know just a person who thinks about a macro point of view as well when it comes to things and the kind of legacy you probably want to leave behind 
not just for yourself but also for both the funds that you run and what it means for the country in the longer um in the longer duration of you know venture as nasa class and all of that really came across to me in that in that segment and i'm going to start off with a very personal question uh because i think there's a lot rooted in this question and we'll uncover a couple of these you did mention that uh, you you decided to move back to india um around that 2007-2008 or slightly slightly around that around that time frame what was that inflection point for you that kind of then made you look at india at that point of time because you know as you touched upon it as well we didn't have the infrastructure we didn't have yeah. any funds we didn't have many startups to begin with as well so even for you to have the conviction saying i'm going to go back i'm going to probably start investing in you know in companies convince lps at a point yeah. in time when you didn't really have companies to invest into as much as we do today Absolutely. so it's it, i mean we have obviously the benefit of hindsight saying yeah today we have for every 200 companies today we probably had one back then rough example right, right? but to go out and then convince lps that hey this is a narrative there's a story that will play out maybe not today but 10 years from now and you get to get a, get to be part of that journey way before anybody else would probably even be part of this it really also requires a lot of convincing and to really have that forward thinking um point of view on 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 you know macro climate and how india and where india can really go what was that first thing that led you to like think about that india opportunity while you were not in india because it's easy to have that conversation when you're on yeah. ground and experience that but when you're sitting outside ground. no you know the, you you might you might be very skeptical like what made yeah. you like really take a bet on yourself before you took a bet on india see uh, it's a bunch of personal reasons uh, as well akash i mean some of it was macro potential so i was a climate tech early stage vc in europe and you know the weirdest thing about that is you know you get off the plane in sweden or norway and i'm going to look for climate tech startups clean tech startups and you are in a place where you know it's it's cleaner than heaven in an imagination of an indian i mean <laughs> you know i mean this is as clean as it gets yeah. you know i mean a sweden or a norway and their care to the environment you're talking in 2007 8 9 10 when i was doing all this yeah already they took such pristine care of their environment and they were investing in climate tech in a, in at a time when you know you wouldn't even think there is a problem if you ever stepped off the plane in sweden or norway i mean that is yeah. how pristine it is and then i was thinking i get off a plane in delhi or bombay and i can't even breathe the air mm. you know i can't breathe and i'm like i am doing climate tech early stage investing in europe and i come from a country where i can't even breathe the air forget the weather change the air pollution itself was so mm. bad right so somewhere it seemed very disingenuous of me to try to do what i was doing in europe mm. when the need in a a fundamental need in a place like india to me seemed so much bigger and the size and scale of india was so much so much so much bigger i mean yeah you can do climate tech investing in a norway a country with 4 million people or you could do something on climate in india with a billion people i mean like where is your impact right highest so that was always there it was not it was not ever not there right but the triggers were more personal and also macro i mean if you think of it 2008 9 i mean the whole financial crisis and this and that so i mean the the atmosphere for 
we see in Europe also had deteriorated significantly. Mm. Deteriorated means it was just disastrous. I mean, so problematic for follow-ons, anything to happen because people were just shell-shocked. Akash. I mean, they didn't know what to do. I mean, and we were in London. London is like the center for financial activity in Europe. Yeah. And like, you know, every morning you're opening the paper and seeing Lehman shut down, thousands are being let go. One after the other, banks, Barclays was on the ropes at that point, this, that, and the other. I mean, it was crazy. Mm. So everything, the funding environment just went for a toss for the next couple of years. I mean, it was just horrendous. And I can't tell you how many venture funds folded in that time. It was crazy. I mean, in the early part, late 2007, when I started in, in London, every Tuesday, we used to meet up at a pub in uh, in central London. I mean, the associates would meet up. Mm-hmm. So the, you would, we had an associates get together. I mean, so it was no partners allowed, no principals allowed, just associates. It was just a place we would meet you know, each other. I mean, I can tell you between 2000, end of 2007 to 2010, the population of people who used to come to that pub, I still remember the name, it's called Audley Pub in Mayfair. Audley was the name of it. I mean, we used to be, you know, 40, 50 of us used to meet up on a Tuesday evening. It would ended up finally being like 10, 15 of us maximum. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the time of that 50, in the three years, I would say 50, 60% of funds folded. You know, wow. I mean, it was insane. I mean, the, the it was such, it was just a terrible time, right? I mean, so that itself was one thing. Was the macro environment was definitely not supportive of anything. Yeah. But India interest, I always had. Then on the other hand, back home we had a few deaths in the family and stuff, personal reasons, family. In which case, I wanted to figure out a pathway back home because you know I needed to be closer to family there. Tried the Singapore angle, thought maybe that's closer to home. There was a family office that wanted to do some stuff in climate. So I mm. decided if I could help them out. I did that for some time. But the whole intent always was to see, is there a way to do something in a formal way in climate in India? But the market, I mean, the macro of Europe definitely played. If the macro was still very positive, maybe I would that journey, instead of ending in 2010 of me coming back to 2011, it may have gone on a few years more in Europe had the macros been a lot better. But right. the macros had deteriorated so badly. And then I wanted to do something in India anyway. And then the personal reasons and family wanted to move back home to be more cl- closer to family. Yeah. All of this together brought about the op- the the an opportunity to explore. Now, had no idea if anything would happen. Hmm. And the thought was if nothing happened, yeah, then you'll apply for a job somewhere and go. You know, I mean... No idea, right? I mean, when you come into something like this, you have no clue if, whether you'll raise a single rupee, right. whether anyone would be interested, you know, and all credit to my partner, Kunal. I mean, he says, just let's give it a shot. I mean, we have some commitments from interest from the government of India, you know, and uh, IFC was conversations are ongoing. We were like, okay, let's just see, you know, I mean, if we can create a vehicle here, yeah. you know, for like, supporting early stage climate in India, let's give it a shot. It still took another two years. But, you know, I mean, and once you start, then you just go on, right? You somehow make That's it That's the grind, yeah. That's oh, the grind, right? What, what were those early days like, though? Like, you know, you, you mentioned oh, it took like it. two years. Yeah, like two years for, to I complete mean, the fundraise, yeah. early days, nobody yeah, knew what climate crore, it was. Yeah. yeah, for a hundred, I mean, for a hundred, it's not like a hundred million dollar, hundred yeah. You're talking about a 16 million dollar fund. Right. I mean, so, oh, it was not easy at all. Like, so, I mean, I came to India, I didn't know anybody, never Worked a day home, right? I had gone just after college. 
right um, and the only reason i moved to bombay was people told me banks have money maybe you go to banks and ask you know i mean and i said okay fine i'll go to a bank and ask and i realized very quickly banks only do debt they don't do equity you know mm-hmm. but uh, and then and I, and i didn't see and i didn't come from finance i didn't come from banking i didn't come from any of that side of the world you know so my i came with a very simplistic view you know i said i want to do something hopefully that will help create an ecosystem for climate tech startups in india and i'll find some capital somebody should support this right and really the first break i mean i can i can tell you it was unbelievable from a personal perspective in getting a break was there was a head of treasury at bank of india i mean i'm not talking any next gen new gen private sector bank <laughs> for anything bank of india yeah and one day i met the head of treasury there i mean after waiting outside his office for i don't know how many hours Uh-huh. but i met him when he was leaving for home he he saw that i still was there when he was coming out to 7 8 in the evening i mean actually many of the public sector banks head of treasuries and all work very late they have a lot of stuff going on and they have very small teams you know and they manage a lot of money i mean public sector banks manage a lot of money but their teams are very very small especially inside treasury and all that mm-hmm. so when he was leaving he saw me and he asked me to walk with him as he was going towards his car and i he asked me i have seen you here a couple of times before as well i know we've not been able to meet so what is it you're trying to do and i said see we want to do this we are trying to do this out of imm dubai there is an incubator there we want to raise some money we have some interest from government of india and ifc but we really need more capital the government of india capital cup you know 20 odd crores they were willing to give us we had to bring in more than that from the private world or external capital we have to raise only then will we get access to that but we right. want to do something to support climate tech startups in india and he said you know he was telling me do you realize nobody typically comes to a bank without like a reference from the ex chairman of the bank <laughs> or some big person calling in ahead of time that's how people come to raise money from a bank you know you don't just show up and wait yeah right i said i don't know any ex chairman of the bank to get them to call you you know i so what do i do right he he liked that i guess mm-hmm. and he said you know let me see what i can do and then about 3 months later he i mean back and forth happened many more meetings happened he called me one day 10 pm he says sham i'm getting out of my final ic i've got your commitment of 10 crore bank okay. of india will commit to infuse and by the way today was my last day i'm retiring today wow it was the <laughs> thing he did and you know i'll never forget him i mean because i mean it's these things are very important you know because someone decided to take a punt on you you know i mean and i had nothing to show him for it yeah. i had never done a climate fund in india i was just part of a fund in the past but someone had to take that shot and it was not some big private sector bank it was boi's head of treasury and you know it is something else for someone to take that risk on you you know yeah Uh, and then it started from there you know and then you know we had others come in but somebody had to start right yeah and it is i mean it was hard i mean the journey was hard it was not easy by any stretch right because as it is it was an insanely new asset class as it was and then on top of it you're trying to sell climate and then on top of it seed stage climate <laughs> i mean in a time when people didn't even know what vc was you know even if you try to explain what venture capital was people didn't even know right <laughs> yeah. i mean so it was difficult but someone's got to give you a shot someone's got exactly. to give you a chance yeah so in this case a person like him gave us a chance you know yeah. i mean that's how the journey started that's fantastic 
I mean, you kind of reminded me of a very personal story of mine where, um, you know, this is years ago. This was when I was 17 years old. I had just gotten into engineering, went in for a couple of weeks and quickly realized that engineering was not for me. And I decided to drop out. But coming from a family where education is given so much importance, uh, I couldn't go back home and tell them that, you know, I'm not, I've stopped attending classes. So instead what I did, IIM Bangalore was next to my house, like literally a street away from where I live. So I used to go and sit in the library every day there, pretending I was going to college. And I used to just sit and read books. I loved research. I loved management. I loved uh, all of that, uh, all of the stuff that they had, research papers published by professors and, and students and all of that alike. I used to go there. I used to sit and read all day. And I also snuck in on a couple of lectures every now and then, workshops, whatever happened. I snuck in every uh, every now and then. So about two months in, um, I discovered NSRC. Uh, which, was on, yeah. which was on campus, but I never had been to that yeah. side of campus. So I didn't really know. I was only stuck with the library. And then I was wandering around campus, and I kept looking into like, okay, this is interesting. Like I wanted to like start something. This was pre-Shiksha. I was like, okay, let me, I wanted to start something. Didn't really know what I wanted to start, how I, how I could start. I didn't really have the tools. But I, w- I would see one professor who would walk past me every day and he would smile at me and I would smile back. He probably thought I was a student. And I, I, I definitely knew that he was working at NSHASL because his office was right there. And I never for once thought, I always wanted to go up into him and say hello. But I was surrounded by the best of the best management students in the country, in that campus. Yeah. And I talked myself out of approaching him because I'm like, what are you going to tell him? You dropped out of engineering yeah. and you want him to give you a chance yeah. to work with him. And you want to, yeah, you yeah. want to be able to say hello to you. I literally told myself, are you stupid? Don't do it. Don't, you're not going to get him to even say hello to you. So about another two months passed by, didn't really like approach him, but I used to see him every day and he used to smile back and smile back at him. One day I told myself, okay, let's go say hello. What's the worst he's going to say? He's going to be like, yeah, no, you can't work with me. I'm like, chalo, let's take that bet. I walked up to him and uh, knocked on his door and I said, sir, can I come in? I just want to have a chat with you. I want to say hello. He said, come in, sit here. Spoke to him, said hello. He asked me my story. I told him, sir, I'm not a student here on campus, but this is my story. This is what has happened in the last four months. And I said, can I work with you? He said, what will you do? I said, anything. Like you give, I'm here to learn. I don't have anywhere else to go. Um, I'm leaving home every day at 8 a.m. I'm staying here till like 5 o'clock in the evening, 5.30 in the evening. So I have all day. I can, I'll do literally anything that you want me to do. He said, okay, I'm working on a research paper. I need somebody to do some research stuff for me. It's dirty work. Will you do it? I said, sir, anything, I'll do it. He said, cool, come tomorrow, you you start from tomorrow. I'll pay you a stipend mm-hmm. and your job starts from tomorrow. I couldn't believe my eyes that on a campus filled, of the, filled with the best of the best management students in the country, here's a professor giving me an opportunity to work with him. His name is Professor Suresh Bhagavatullah. And going back to the point that you said that somebody took a bet on you, here's where, here was a person who took a bet on me at a point of time where I di- I was directionless in life. I didn't know what I was doing. I was lying to people at home. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And more than more importantly, yeah. I was I was sitting across the table from this person who instilled a little bit of confidence when I had zero confidence in 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 myself. I was yeah. literally down in the dumps. And he said, I'll give you a chance. And that literally changed my life because from there on, it was just compounding effects. He introduced me to a number of other professors, students, knowledge, resources, got me for the first time legal access to the library and the Wi-Fi, which I used to pretend that I was a student and walk in. 
he actually gave me legal access and that that little you know 10000 rupees that i used to get at that point of time was yeah, a really. lot of money and for me it was not about the money it was just the opportunity and the privilege of being on that campus where i am not entitled to be there i am literally not entitled to be on i didn't i didn't earn my 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 entry into that campus well everyone else did so for this person to take yeah. that chance on me and like that changed the course of my career me my how i was an individual and instilled that confidence that hey you know what i can probably i'll be fine like i'll be fine in life because what and this quote always stays with me right um hard work always beats talent when talent does not hard work work hard yeah and i yeah. was ready to work hard i may not have had the talent i 70 today also i will tell you that i'm i probably i'm not the smartest person in the room at all never feel like i felt like i have but back then i was 17 naive didn't really know anything and i was probably the dumbest person on campus that day barring maybe the dog that was on campus you know i was probably the dumbest person there so i really felt that this, he took a chance on me and that changed the course of everything that's happened to me in my life and very similar to you this story kind of like comes out wherein somebody really taking a chance on you and today in one way shape or form you are giving back by trusting founders yeah who are you know taking a shot at moonshot projects are really coming yeah. to you with vision that can change the course of india as a country can change the course of humanity in some cases with the innovation I that they are trying to bring out the kind of stuff we are backing are lot of it are moonshot stuff in deep tech because that's yeah. what deep tech vc is right and i'm happy to have that opportunity you know to be able to back people like this yeah. know, it's not easy to to have that opportunity at least we have that opportunity huh. hopefully a few of them will change the world yeah. i mean similar to again one more case like this was my advice i didn't finish that phd i started it and my advisor and i told i i remember this in the us my advisor was a very very was a very famous lady dr joan ogden i mean she's a big name in plasma physics uh-huh. and she used to run what is called the fusion center in princeton and then she became the head of this hydrogen initiative thing in university of california and i was my I was she was my advisor but you know one thing i realized akash with him with her was with joan June when she takes on a phd student she doesn't tell the phd student once she takes them on what to do uh-huh. their her view was him or her let them figure out what i have done my due diligence in picking somebody right that's it now i'll stay out of their way yeah. broad area is okay climate energy now you figure out and uh-huh. you do what it, what it takes even if you drop out so two and a half three years i did phd under her work under her mm-hmm. was funded by her but then i realized with my project at lawrence berkeley moving to the world bank in dc that i'll never be able to finish this phd which right. i started because again a lot of coursework still needed to be done on the west coast i was stuck on the east coast and the work was full time and the world bank was leading me down another pathway entirely but someone trusted you enough to say that okay if that is the course that your life is taking go for it continue mm. with it. don't worry about the pathway that you started yeah and she had i mean she paid for me for 3 years full right the entire the tuition the yeah. support monthly stipends everything right but someone who trusts you enough to say the only thing she used to ask me when i would meet her once a week when we would have a set meeting time is did you sleep enough and did you eat this is the only two things she used to ask because her view was <laughs> you will figure out what the phd will be you first yeah. explore 
and then you will come up with it and there were advisors who were very not at all like that who had yeah. students who were tasked with some specific thing and night and day they would chase them but that was not the way my advisor worked and be- the beauty of that model was it showed me that i was not meant for research it mm-hmm. allowed me to explore and identify something else that i may have been good at or the move to whatever else i did she didn't hold me to the path that i started on and yeah. allowed the room to explore to figure out what else so such people you know whether it is the boi treasury head or whether it was a advisor like john ogden are critical in one's life you know if you find people like that who are willing to let you explore or willing to give you a shot mm. i mean you can potentially achieve a lot more otherwise you are you know you have no you know you you may start down a path but you don't know when you start whether that path is right for you right, right. you don't know right yeah. you just start because you have to start something right right and then someone's got to allow you the freedom to to say that okay it's all right you started down this path it may not be the best for you in which case you choose the next path yeah you know don't criticize you for that you know for choosing another pathway so i mean it is it's very critical like i should have people like somebody who will take that shot somebody who take that shot for you and very very similarly post business school i had applied for a phd got into mm-hmm. a phd at cmu um the professor who i was supposed to work under after having some elaborate conversations with me before this is before the program starting and everything sits me down one day and says you will drop out of this phd in 2 years time <laughs> and, and you know how shocked i was when he told me that <laughs> and, and i said why why do you say that he's like you're not you're not built for academia you're not built for it right yeah, yeah. you're not built for this you're somebody who wants to create stuff yeah you're a yeah. builder and there's a place for you in this world and this is not it this is not it yeah you will spend your time here two years you'll struggle you'll slog you'll do a good job at it not to say that you won't but you'll quickly realize that what you did and what you're doing is not what you want to do Wanted and it. then you'll regret that you lost two years yeah. and in some cases you might think about it from a sunken cost perspective and you'll push yourself to finish it yeah and after that four and a half five years you'll look back and be like why the fuck did i do that do this exactly <laughs> and i'm going to save you yeah. some time yeah and i'm going to advise you not to do it have some independent thought think about it if you really yeah. think this is still something you want to pursue i'm here you've already got an admin i'm here we'll help you you'll i'm very confident that you'll make it out on the other side but you will not come out on the other side like you know positive about the experience you'll only regret it for the rest of your life so i'm yeah. saving you some time don't do it and sounds like something that you know your prof- like they they know when yeah. who to pick they know which apples to pick but they know yeah. that the apple doesn't want to be an apple exactly. <laughs> you know what i mean exactly yeah exactly <laughs> john told me that john said i want to work with you but you know it's obvious to me that this is not the path for you yeah <laughs> and the funny thing is like she said it was clear to me even earlier that this yeah. was this was what it's going to be but i didn't say anything because i wanted you to find out what it is that you want to do right you know and so when i told her you know this world bank pathway and leading to this the vc opportunity that was coming up she's like i told her you know i think that's probably a better path for me and she's like makes perfect sense you were an entrepreneur you tried the policy route and all of this stuff mm-hmm. this is and you realize that phd calls for ultra focused effort for 5 6 years on one very small thing yeah and that is just not you 
you know so it's okay it's okay that you don't take this decision and yeah. that you're taking this call and moving on but you know how many advisors would say that after spending 3 years of money on you i mean tuition exactly. and stipend and everything else right yeah. so i mean a lot of credit because if had she told me stay on and wrap it up when you know i would have done it yeah you know i would have gone on what else right i mean i i owe it to her i mean she took that shot on me you know and i should have completed it you know and but she's like no if you think this is not the right thing move on i mean i don't want you to regret at all yeah and that those opportunities that you know that that support is really so critical whether I, it was her whether it was him i mean uh, i was very close to giving up i mean i didn't know what to do after all those meetings with those banks you know and then finally one guy you know says you know i'll give you a shot and imagine yeah. this is the last thing he did that day he retired it yeah. was his last day he called me and said sham by the way this is my last day in boi he was already past 60 in fact he had retired before they had brought him back for 6 months because they hadn't found a, another replacement. replacement so he was actually on an extension post retirement wow. you know which i didn't know any of this huh. you know and then finally he told me sham i am leaving this is my last day and this is the last thing i've done is you know try to ensure this is this will happen yeah i was just unbelievably happy i mean that someone decided to take that shot he didn't have to he didn't it have was to. his last yeah. day aga he could have just gone on and you know forgot and never have thought of me ever yeah he fought tooth and nail for a 10 cr investment in a seed stage climate focused equity vc fund in a bank of india board <laughs> i mean that's the fight he decided to fight on his last, last day, day. I mean, yeah. of all things in the world you could have done on your last day that's what he chose to do ha huh. and that's something i mean you got i mean that's something he didn't have to do that for a minute right you know he could have forgotten i existed in the second that he met me right yeah so so yeah. when you know when when you're bringing some of these experiences into who you are as an investor today and how you're thinking about <clears throat> india in the next 10 15 20 years whatever you know the 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 length and duration of of the fund and <clears throat> you know you're investing time uh in the country how much of that person that you've been has influenced you today as the person that you are in the context of the fund manager that that you are because fund manager also comes with a lot of responsibility of somebody else's money you are you are you know you certainly have to take some decisions and while you know you know your personality you might want you to like do certain things your fiduciary responsibility as a fund manager sometimes may not so you have to fight that fine line between who you are versus who you have to be right you have to be yeah so how do you how do you balance that it's not easy it's hard and i don't even know if i do a good job of it to tell you the truth i don't know i mean i i hope i do a good job of it for the sake of all the people who have entrusted mm-hmm. capital for us to manage but the good thing is i am a believer if if i am not the best person for something we find the best people to do it mm. so you know, if so we brought in uh, people whether it is partner principal associate senior associate level who are far far better than me at everything we do i mean mm-hmm. whether it is financial management whether it is picking investments etc and i believe in sticking to one's lane in if you are good at something so you know in my personal case i try to focus more on fundraising and building lp relationships where i've done that for years and i feel comfortable doing that mm-hmm. uh, and where i am not strong we brought in people where individually i think what we've managed to do well is as a partnership of five partners is ensure that each of us have our real core strengths and we are not mm-hmm. really 
stepping on each other's feet so yeah. and it's important you have to trust your partners that you will do your best right and they do their best yeah. you know and uh, and that's the only way to ensure success of the whole thing yeah. you know i don't claim to be the best investor i am not claiming to be the best uh, portfolio manager you know there are things i'm good at which i focus on mm-hmm. there are people far better than me in our team who are good at everything else they do mm-hmm. all that better yeah. so i think i believe in hiring the right people for it and uh, in terms of supporting the entrepreneur and how your life journey experiences help there is i mean i believe a lot in you know it's not just about how stellar your pedigree is whether you went to an iit or an iim or any of that i'd much rather see someone who has persevered you know in in something you know and it's not always going to be result in the outcome they want but at least perseverance shows that they're willing to fight the fight you know they're not going to give up and run at the first sign of trouble yeah you know and sometimes the problem that i've seen with people with very 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 high pedigrees akash is that the problem is that their their opportunity cost is so high because of the pedigree they have that yeah. the first sign of trouble they may start looking else right and that's another learning that we've had it doesn't i mean it's not always the case but you have to keep all that in perspective you know mm. when you take decisions is uh, there are people who will fight it out to make something work but again you can't be so dogged that you are not willing to learn you are not willing to pivot if something is not working you also need to know when to call a spade a spade Correct. and say that this is just not happening you know i mean i shouldn't waste anyone's time or money anymore on this you know taking that decision is also important but cutting and running is uh, is not the right way either you know you don't cut and run ahead of time when I mean, you need yeah. to take a call at the right time and there is it is no good way there's no i mean if all of this was a science then you know it would have been so much easier it's not a science right i mean it's you live and learn with each entrepreneur you know their level of passion motivation you know and ability or ability to gauge that in that person mm-hmm. you know i mean all evolves with every single time and you still get it wrong all the time i mean it just how it goes but um, you keep learning and you keep looking for those signs in these people i mean do they have that resilience wherewithal you know to to resi- to go through a downturn you know yeah. maybe two three rounds of no funding available uh, having to cut down to the bare bones will they still go through that struggle do they have it in them do they really believe in it or are they jumping into this because you know ai is hot or machine learning is hot or cyber security is hot today right i mean yeah. are they doing it for that reason or do they really have something you know that really ties them down to that space and do they want to make it you yeah. know i mean sometimes those people who may not have any fancy pedigree they may not have gone to any iit or iim or harvard or anything but just you can see that resoluteness in their eyes right you know that they're going to fight the fight yeah. they're going to fight it and win somehow right i mean and and in some ways people with less academic pedigree have more of an incentive to fight to make it work yeah. actually they have more because they feel like they have to do it yeah. you know it's not like there are 10 15 other opportunities waiting for them on the sidelines you know in a way yeah. their necessity to make something work is much higher mm-hmm. greater to prove to themselves and to the world that they can do it right so so all of this comes to play yeah. you know i mean when when you are taking a call on someone or something or an or an opportunity and we yeah. still get stuff wrong i mean it is just how it is i mean you can put all that together and it still may not work out 
right. you know so be it i mean we are early stage investors that is just the nature of the game you know, yeah. we have to live with that but every day you try and use your learnings to try and make better decisions i mean that's you just keep at it you know i mean how many ever wrong decisions happen you still try and learn and still try to do the right thing yeah but at least the lps can rest assured knowing that as a team we've done our best you know to try to nurture and grow their pot that they've given us mm-hmm. uh, you know we've done our, our best you know i mean we hopefully should be able to give them the returns that they deserve right? that they deserve yeah you know this reminds me of a story that you that that, that comes to mind and this is a story that is very close to my heart it's about this 16 year old boy who came knocking at our door one morning and he was crying and he said um, i've run away from home i come from a very difficult circumstance i'm in a very small town um uh, my father is an alcoholic and he comes home every day and you know he just bashes everybody up including my mother and my younger brother i've run away from home because i think i want to start i want to do something where i can get my family to the city my grand and he said to my granddad i will do anything sir nivenar heli i will do it basically saying i will do whatever you tell me to do my granddad at that point was like okay i don't really have a lot of work to give you because you have very little skill sets can you wash the car to begin with we'll pay you 300 rupees a month he said okay i will start with this this boy 16 to 18 washed our car every single morning but along the way what he also did was he started going to the neighbors houses and saying i wash their car can i wash yours can i wash yours can i wash yours can i wash yours he slowly started like literally became the monopoly in that colony where he would wash cars from 4:30 in the morning till like 9 o'clock in the morning imagine right. four and a half hours of cleaning everybody's cars you know little yeah. 300 300 250 300 250 all of that accumulating to probably like 3000 3500 rupees per month right then at 18 he wanted to get a driving license he said sir i clean your car i will also i can also drive you to work if you want yeah and he learned he we got him a driving license he learned how to drive he started driving the vehicle he got a two wheeler license he used to drop me to school also i remember yes. and then yeah. on a two wheeler he used to drop me to school then he learned how to drive a four wheeler started doing that then he started you know doing a couple of these gigs in the colony for other people right and then slow slowly one thing just led him to another became a contractor started doing painting work because we were looking for my uncle is getting married at that point and we had to paint the house he's like i will look for a painter for you found a painter found a couple of people put that together and then quickly realized that maybe i can do this for other people also right then started doing it for other people then he actually took the contract a few years later to paint the colony all the all the um, flats and apartments in the the building the facade uh, of the building right. he took the contract right. to like paint that now this guy also wanted to then learn english because he's like teach me a little bit of english because yeah. i think english is going to be really important in the world maybe i can't speak even today he speaks broken english but enough right. that he can have a conversation but the story that i'm trying to like fast forward very quickly also is that the this little 16 year old guy who came home was a, such a huge inspiration in in my own life i saw his story playing out in front of me because today he is worth about 60 crores because nice. he started buying property in mm. kanakpura road way back in 2006 to 2004 2006 or 5 6 time And right. nobody, like, no one gave no one thought about kanakpura road it's like it's like so far yeah. away nobody really like who's going to buy a property there god knows i mean i don't know if he had conviction or anything or somebody told him that or right. this is that maybe that was the only affordable property for him at that point could be could be yeah 
So yeah, he's like, okay, this is the only thing that. I can afford. This is two lakh. Ru- I remember him saying two lakh rupees is what I invest. Maybe that's the only thing he could afford in Bangalore. Yeah. He probably got lucky or he was smart or whatever it is. Credit to him, the right place, right time, all of that, right? All of that, he just started investing more in those properties. And today, Kanakpura is one of the hottest properties in Bangalore. Exactly. Yeah. The exactly. man who invested like little two lakh rupees back in the day and continued to do that. Today has properties yeah. and land sitting in Kanakpura, which he's now leasing out to like businesses and people. And, you know, going to the story that you mentioned, it may, you, you know, opportunity cost people who have been to these large institutions. Some of these people who come with like almost humble or nothing from their background, they probably are not even thinking about yeah. becoming millionaires. They're not thinking about becoming like, hey, I want to go and have yeah, yeah. a unicorn company. His goal was, how can I get right. 300 rupees to 1000 rupees? How can I get from 1,000 yeah, rupees to 3,000 exactly. rupees? Yeah. It's incremental journey along yeah. the way that has kind of led him to where he is today. And probably if you asked him, did you think you will be here? Or did you even know that this is what you were, what 60 crore rupees was? He probably would be like, I don't even know how many zeros 60 crores had. That how is, many zeros 60 crores would have, right? Yeah, <laughs> he wouldn't even know that. Now exactly. that's, that's the story. Like, you know, it's like, one single, like small increments along his, along the life is like, kind of like led him to like where he is. And these are the kind of people that you, I mean, his is not a success story where, you know, you're like, oh, he's a unicorn founder. You know, the, this is not a sexy story at all oh, for yeah. anybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Nobody will want yeah. to cover this story. But for me, incredible. Incredible. I love this. Like he, I saw this story playing out in front of my eyes. Yeah. I see today also, like he's worth 60 crores. He's enterprising, runs a com- couple of businesses. Today also when he comes home, no? Sits on the floor, doesn't sit on the sofa. I know he will. That's where that's where he started. And that's he where he started. Eat. So he's like, no, no, you sit, I will sit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's the that's the humility of the man that he is. That and these are the kind of people that you that you want to bump into in life. You know, you these are the kind of stories exactly. that kind of make you feel like it. you. These are the stories that matter. Matter, yeah. and they they make the journey fulfilling. Yeah, it's great to have. You know, the breakout winners, the unicorns, they give you the fund returns and all of that. But the stories yeah. that stick with you, know, are, are these kind of things that yeah. really make the journey worthwhile. And with you as well, I'm sure, Absolutely. you know, these. Yeah. Th- this is what you also probably are looking forward to every day along with all the returns and returns. If it plays out along with the story is like, you know, cherry on top of the cake. Control that return, Akasha. You don't know, right? You are yeah. betting on these startups and founders. 10 years before, they have got <laughs> such a long journey to go. Yeah. You know, who knows where the return will be? I mean, return is a consequence of your actions of 10 years. That's you know, you can't control it in any way, you know. Yeah. So you can only bet on the journey and the people, you know, and yeah. help them. You know, if yeah. the returns happen, it happens. It but does. that's the last thing you can control, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, so, I've, I've, this is yeah. a great conversation. I never knew where this is going to like take us. <laughs> and I have like six questions which I didn't even get to because this was like so I mean this is enriching. This is this was the last hour and a half that we've spent. Yeah. I've just gotten to know who you are as a person. You know, that's you the agenda. You have a good way of doing this. I Thank can you. See I, really, I really appreciate that. And I, I think I told you in the beginning, you know, it's like getting to know who you are as a person, that's kind of like what I'm taking away and I'm so grateful for the time that we spent because it feels like I sat across somebody who I've known for like years, even though we met 90 Just, minutes ago. Yeah, 90 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So Fantastic. thank you again for sharing some very personal journeys and stories with us. And uh, I would love to, you know, bring you on at a later stage as well. 
um you know and talk about a lot because there's so much that you're sitting on that i think from the context of the fund the thesis in the origin stories we can just keep going on and on and on and everybody who all listens to this would just take whatever they want to take the little stories and kind of like make whatever they want to make with it and i think uh, um that's what i is so unique and wonderful about this chat and my conversation with you so again thank you so much from the bottom of my heart it's been such a pleasure sitting across the table from you today and having this conversation thank you very much akash i really enjoyed it and i wish you continued success in what you're doing well that brings us to the end of yet another amazing conversation here on the dcvc podcast what i really like about hosting this show is that i really get an opportunity to get to understand who investors really are behind the persona and today we all had a glimpse of who sham really is as a person he was able to go deep into his own background talk to us about some of the uncertain and vulnerable moments in his career that led him down the path of being a venture capitalist they say the route to venture capital is never traditional and sham's story is just one of those and it's filled with some fantastic people, great experiences and most importantly leaving a whole lot up to chance and trusting the fact that it's all going to play out. I truly enjoyed speaking to you Sham and I hope to engage you in further discussions and conversations down the line here on the podcast and unveil a whole lot more about venture capital that you have learned from investing in companies in India. Well if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode and all the other ones that we've brought you so far please go ahead and rate and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform it really helps us get discovered by people like yourselves and more importantly keeps you updated about all of our future episode releases we've got another fantastic guest here on the show lined up next week who's building one of India's most prominent social networking platforms So please make sure you tune back in again and see who we have here on the show and all the insights that the founder is able to share with us about their time building a company in India and now for the globe. Until then, stay safe everybody and continue to keep hustling.